Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So, metta, metta, loving kindness. I'm going to talk about metta and really um, celebrate metta. It's a, it's a kind of, actually, it's an interesting thing that for such a powerful quality, uh, metta sometimes seems a little bit um, bland, the word itself, just like mindfulness, you know, doesn't, doesn't quite uh, do justice to the power of, of it. You know, you sign your, your notes, Meta James, or just like we say love, you know, it's such a, a word that's used so much and it can have so many different connotations or ways that you say it, you know. I love mangoes, you know. Or I love you. And uh, it's really quite a mysterious thing, this capacity that we have to feel so connected with each other, with life. The word metta, in Sanskrit, the word is maitri, M-A-I-T-R-I, maitri. And it, the, the root is friend, friendship. That feeling that we have, isn't it amazing that we can find somebody, connect with them magically and say, oh wow, you're a friend. You're my friend. What does that mean when, when we find a friend? Oh, you're really a friend. What does that mean? Somehow there's barriers that get dissolved and this sense of true connection and trust and feeling at ease and feeling relaxed and wanting to see somebody happy because it just makes you happy. Wanting to hang out with them and they just kind of seem to bring out the best in you. The word is often translated as loving kindness, loving kindness practice, which is is a big word, loving kindness. Sometimes it can be so, um, that word can seem so lofty. I'm practicing, I'm doing loving kindness practice. I remember when I first was getting into doing metta or loving kindness, I just, I thought that I had to kind of just touch into real deep feeling and pay dirt and I was trying to get in touch with loving kindness. Come on, it's down there somewhere, you know. And I I remember actually it was on one, uh, one three-month course, 1979, when Ajahn Sumedho came at the end of the, towards the end of the course, and he gave this uh, beautiful talk on all the paramitas, the six, param- uh, ten paramitas in Theravadan Buddhism, and one of them is loving kindness. And I, I remember him saying, "It's so, it's amazing how your mind can just be right back, right where you were sitting in the hall." And, all. and he was saying, "You know, sometimes people really want to go for." For the, for the richness and think they've got to have some bells and whistles when they're doing metta practice, when they're doing loving kindness. Really, if you just make it very simple and realize you're cultivating basically kindness. I thought, oh, kindness. I can do kindness. You know? And that, he said, if you just start with that, with a basic feeling of kindness, that it's it taps into the same place of that deep, rich, loving connection. So if you're playing around with metta practice and you're, you're finding 
a little bit of frustration, it's a bit drier than you'd wish, just think of it as kindness practice towards you, with yourself, with others, with life, and just know that you're tuning into that channel and can go deeper and deeper because it's the same place that the love comes from. What's quite fascinating, at least to me, is that we can program the heart for love. That's what metta practice is. You know, sometimes we might think, oh, <clears throat> you know, I'm just not a very loving person, or I didn't have as much love as I'd like to when I was growing up, and so I just have a limited capacity for love. And don't believe that. You can program, we can program the heart and the mind for anything. And in fact, we are most of the time, often unfortunately for greed, hatred, and delusion. Uh, <laughs> that's not all. It's, there's a bit more to it than that. But we can program it for kindness, for generosity, for clarity, for wisdom, for equanimity, for compassion. All it takes is a committed intention and knowing how to do it. Uh, and this line that I've said many times, uh, one of my favorite lines of the Buddha, what, whatever one frequently thinks and ponders upon, that will become the inclination of their mind. And if you frequently think and ponder upon how life is a drag, that will be the inclination of your mind. If you frequently think and ponder upon how beautiful people are, how good it feels to have the heart open, and support that with practice, that becomes the inclination of your mind. When you're doing the metta practice, for those who aren't familiar with it, you're saying phrases, I'm sure if you've been here before, you know, uh, we do this at the end of uh, the evening. You know, may, may I be happy, may I be peaceful. The traditional four metaphrases, may I be, or at least the variation of them that I use, may I be safe from inner and outer harm, or may you be safe from inner and outer harm. May uh, you be um, uh, happy, or may... I be happy. May I be healthy and strong. And may I have ease of well-being. Classically, it's may I be uh, free of danger. May I have uh, mental happiness. May I have physical happiness. May I have ease of well-being. And there's lots of different variations you can do on those. And with the metta practice, actually, it's a very... Uh, customizable practice. You can do it any way that really works for you, that really evokes that feeling. And when you're doing it as a concentration practice, you do it, you use like three or four phrases that you're saying over and over and just programming the heart and the mind. And when you do the practice, which I think we'll do uh, at some point this evening, uh, besides the end, you have either a phrase going or an image going where you can bring somebody to mind who you f either feel that towards or want to develop that towards, um, whether it's a benefactor or a friend or a neutral person or a difficult person or yourself. So you have the phrase, the image, and at times that feeling becomes evoked where you're just, you're kind of saying it and then all of a sudden you're feeling it. And if any one of those three things is going on, you're doing the practice. You're planting those seeds of, of heart opening. So 
I was taught, and I, I like doing it this way, we did it the mudita day long, so you have the phrase, you have a person that you are, or a being that you're sending the phrase to, kind of like you're splashing a blessing over them. And then if you at times get in touch with that feeling, you can just settle into the feeling. Uh, and so if you're using the phrases and saying the phrases just over and over, and you're not particularly feeling the feeling, you don't worry about it. That's okay. As long as you are doing it consistently, you are, every time you're saying the phrase, you're planting the seed of loving kindness to develop. It's a, it's a lovely way to think of the practice instead of, oh my goodness, I'm sitting here, you know, may you be happy, right? You know, <laughs> give me a break, you know, nothing's happening. It's every time you're doing it, you're planting the, and they sprout in the most amazing, unpredictable ways. I remember um, Sharon Salzberg, who wrote the book uh, called Loving Kindness, which uh, you can get the full practice of all the different categories and all the four different Brahma Viharas. Um, she was saying when she first was doing Loving Kindness, and it just, um, she just wasn't feeling it. You know, I, I don't know if it was the first time or one of the early times that she did it. You know, may I be happy, may I be peaceful. You know, and it just, you know, it didn't seem like anything was happening. And then after like a a few days of doing it, sometimes when you're doing a longer retreat, you might spend oh a number of days or a week or more on yourself and then you move to a benefactor, etc., etc. So she had been practicing for a number of days on on herself and she just wasn't, didn't think anything was happening and uh, she was going through the, um, uh, she was in her room and she dropped something uh, uh, in, in her room, I think a mirror or something like that and she, her first comment to herself was, oh, you're such a klutz. And then, to her surprise, came, and I love you. <laughs> and she thought, wow, look at that. Amazing. And that's kind of how it works. It kind of um, sneaks up on you. And what is important to realize is that the heart follows the mind. You can just plant those seeds and they might seem mechanical, but little by little, it's like you're uh, setting up grooves, that inclination of mind, or neuroscientists would say, you're developing neural pathways, and when you do it consistently, it just starts connecting. And your mind, and not only your mind, but your heart, starts inclining that way. It's quite mysterious and magical that we can do that. Mm. And I've had many, many people, somebody just uh, just recently was telling me, you know, when they first started doing loving-kindness practice, just a whole lot of resistance, like, oh, God, do I have to do loving-kindness? You know, this is quite common. Uh, don't think that you're an unloving person if that's your response. Sometimes it can seem mechanical, but this person was saying, gosh, after, after some period of doing it, they just started seeing their heart opening, and now they love loving-kindness practice. You've heard me, uh, if you've come here regularly, talk about in my mind, the essence of mindfulness practice, Vipassana instructions, notice what's happening now, letting the experience be as it is, and bringing a relaxed, interested, kind awareness to the moment. Kind awareness. For me, mindfulness really comes down to a kind awareness, not just a, a sterile, detached mm, 
non-judging awareness. That has a place as well. But for me, a fuller, a kind awareness that is friendly with the moment, that is that is not battling, that is not tight, that's not contracting away from experience. And what the metta practice does, as you develop that capacity in your heart, you're developing that kindness part, and it complements so beautifully with the mindfulness part. So often people do, as these next couple of weeks at Spirit Rock are structured, a period of metta, and we're going to do one week of metta practice, and many, many people, including my wife Jane, staying for a following week or nine days, I think, of doing a mindfulness retreat. And Joseph Goldstein and some other uh, teachers are going to be coming for that second one. And it's a beautiful way to do it because as you do the metta, it's like you're cultivating that kindness of heart and also some focus and concentration. And then that spirit is infused in your mindfulness practice. And you can do it also in your own practice at home, as many people here do. You might start with a few minutes of metta, of loving kindness, and just kind of soften things, and then open up to the straight mindfulness, just being with things as they are. Uh, And then you might end your meditation session with some uh, loving kindness after you've gotten some space and stillness in the heart is an excellent time to then uh, generate loving kindness. So you can do it at the beginning uh, and at the end or at the beginning and then mindfulness or mindfulness and then going into loving kindness at the end. You can just play around with it or you can do the whole sitting Sometimes I know people, that's their main practice that they do for a chunk of time, just doing the, the metta. Uh, the Buddha, if you're not familiar with the story, uh, first taught loving kindness, it is said, to uh, some monks when um, he uh, instructed them to go and meditate out in the forest. And the the forest, as the story goes, was inhabited by tree spirits. The trees were inhabited by spirits who liked their, their place undisturbed. So when these monks came to meditate, they wanted to get rid of them. And what they did was take the form of, you know, ghoulish figures and demons and wild beasts to scare the heck out of these uh, these monks who they did a successful job, went running back to the Buddha and said, it is too scary in that forest. Can you give us some other place we can meditate? It's dangerous. It's frightening. And as the story goes, he said, I I want you to go back there and I will give you the greatest protection, the only protection that you need for uh, demons and uh, and ghouls and, and wild beasts. And that was when he taught them the loving kindness practice. They went back, as the story goes, did the loving kindness practice and they were so pleasant to be around that the tree spirits just loved having them and became their protectors. Whether or not that is so, who knows. (laughs) But it is so that loving kindness, that a basic spirit of kindness and love, is a protection. It's a great protection. When we're around people who radiate that spirit of love and kindness, we don't want to hurt them, do we? 
Maybe if we're very, very jealous, you know, we're having a bad day, well, what are they so loving about? It's very rare, though. You want to hang out with people who genuinely radiate love, especially if it's unconditional love that's not wanting anything from you. That's a good vibe to hang out in. Because if you can feel their love for you, what it does is awaken that and remind you, oh yeah, there's love in here. Or maybe I am lovable. How wonderful. So it's a protection. There's another story uh, against uh, about wild beasts. This is of the Buddha where at one point his cousin, Devadatta, who was very jealous of him, wanted to uh, uh, get rid of the Buddha and take over the, the Sangha himself. Um, got a little off there in his practice somewhere. <laughs> and it said, actually, that he, he had developed lots of psychic powers and lots of concentration. And you get into power, and if you don't have it balanced out with wisdom... Uh, then it can go wrong, as we have seen once or twice in our world when people get a lot of power. uh, How rare it is to have power and have wisdom at the same time. And how blessed if we can have leaders like that. So anyway, Devadatta was trying to um, do the Buddha in one of his many times, and he uh, he hired this this uh, this fellow who uh, had a um, an elephant that was I don't know if it was a mad elephant or he 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 uh, made the elephant go uh, get a little wild and there was just this alley or this one narrow street that the Buddha was coming up with uh, going through with alms uh, for alms food it was alms rounds and. He, the guy, uh, David Datta, figured if the Buddha runs off to the side, he'll show that he's frightened, and that won't be very good. That'll be humbling. That will be good for David Datta. Or if he doesn't run away, he's going to get trampled. Either way, I think this is a good, a good idea I have, David Datta said. As the, the mad elephant comes rushing towards the Buddha... The Buddha sends out that loving field of energy and the elephant slows down and by the time he gets to him, he just kneels and bows down. Everybody was very impressed and Devadatta said, curses foiled again. Here are some benefits of loving kindness. Eleven benefits, the classical benefits. When you have a heart filled with loving kindness, you will sleep easily, you will wake easily, you will have pleasant dreams, people will love you. Devas, celestial beings, other beings, And animals will love you. And who knows about devas? There might be something to it, but certainly animals can pick up your vibe in a moment, can't they? Animals will love you. Devas will protect you. That's a nice thought to have. Got some extra protection. External dangers, poisons, weapons, and fire will not harm you. Don't test this with your loving kindness. You want to be really sure you got it down before. uh, uh, Your face will be radiant. Isn't that so? No matter what the appearance, you can be an elder, a senior, with loads of wrinkles in, in the face. And when that face radiates love, Aren't they beautiful? Wow. And you can be the most you know, gorgeous supermodel and if your 
face is filled with anxiety or anger or jealousy, you might be pretty on the outside, but gosh, it's so so different what you've lost. Love is beautiful. It's captivating. It moves us. Your face will be radiant. Your mind will be serene. You will die unconfused if you have love in your heart. And you will be reborn in happy realms. So, pretty good idea, isn't it, to develop this? It is the source of compassion and joy. If you know the four divine abodes of loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity, loving kindness in the face of suffering turns into compassion. Loving kindness in the face of happiness turns into sympathetic joy, delight. Oh, how beautiful. But it's based in that feeling of connection. What is love? That people live for it, die for it, long for it, fight for it, yearn for it, feel pain about it. We want it so much. What is it that we want? Uh, a number of months ago, I, I mentioned um, the uh, this book, The Universe is a Green, Green Dragon, uh, by Brian Swim. And he talks about the um, archetypal energy. There's a number of general energies in this universe. And one of them he calls allurement, where things tend to connect with each other. In the, in the middle of an atom, the, the nucleus, the protons and, nucle- and, and neutrons are held together and the electrons are spinning around. What keeps them together? There's some force that, that things are brought together and want to stay connected. The same force that uh, we could say gets translated as gravity. Why is it that we don't fall away and we're just spinning around? We are held by some force, some gravitational force. Just like magnetism. Why is it that things are attracted in that way? Or the force of the planets around the sun or, the, or stars in a galaxy. There's this tendency for things to want to stay connected. And in human beings we have that same urge to connect and we call it love. We long for that connection. And it's so hardwired in us that when we don't have it, we feel disconnected, alone, and in pain. And a loving kindness can take all kinds of forms and connections and permutations. Of course, there's love of friendship, love between family, parents and children, and, and siblings and uh, familial bonds. Then there's the romantic love, of course, that is the source of all the Romance novels, country and western songs, movies, because we are so enthralled by the pain of love. You know, it would be kind of boring to go to a movie and see a couple at the beginning say, I love you, and for the next 90 minutes keep on saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. You know, Actually, it might not be a bad movie, but... Uh, it's a good movie when it's happening inside. 
you that. But along with this, this yearning to connect comes the pain of the near enemy of love, of loving kindness, of metta, which is attachment. What looks like love, but is very different. Metta, loving kindness, is not painful. Attachment is painful. What's the difference? In attachment, we want something. We want to possess. And if we don't have it, we are um, frightened, uh, get anxious. We can get fearful of losing it. Love, unconditional love, which is what metta is about, is, is an outflow of energy. It's expansive you know, just like in uh, Corinthians, I, I, I don't know the whole passage uh, by heart, but you know, love, love does not want anything. But we get confused by it all a lot. I, I remember actually, I, I don't think I shared this story. If I did, then bear with me. But uh, I don't think I've shared it in in quite a while. But um, many years ago. When I first got into Dharma practice, um, actually going out to Naropa Institute the first summer before I, just before I met Joseph, I had an interview, Joseph Goldstein, I had an interview with Ramdas, who I've mentioned here uh, a lot lately. And um, I was getting over the pain of uh, the love of my life. This is when I was like 27, my first love of my life before I met my my wife Jane, seven years later. And uh, I just, it was a year of getting over. You know, when you're in that, you know, will I ever get over this? You know? And um, and we, she loved me, we, we loved each other. That was magically, it was the first time that happened, but it didn't work out. I won't get into details on that right now. But... Um, <laughs> But there I was uh, asking uh, Ramdas, you know, what, you know, how can I deal with this? You know, I, I loved, and it's gone, and and I know that she was meant for me, you know, Maria. <laughs> That's her name, and wherever you are, I do love you. Uh, and uh, it was how can I? I th- this is a, a great mistake. She was, she was the one. And uh, and Ramdas said, um, well, you know, maybe uh, maybe that's not the way it was supposed to be. No, no, no. It was a mistake. You know? And we talked about about how we had been talking about karma and people in each other's lives and stuff like that. And uh, and he said. Um, well, it's kind of interesting. You talk about, you know, you're on your own journey. Everybody's on their own journey, you know. But when it comes to Maria, she was. She's not on her own journey. She's supposed to be on your journey. You know? <laughs> you know? I, I thought, oh well, yeah, that's interesting that you put it like that, you know. And uh, then he said, you know, because I was saying, well, I've loved, but I've loved and I've lost. And I've lost my love. And uh, he said, you can't lose your love. It sure feels that way. Right? He said, if you, if you, th- some people awaken that love inside of us. But if you think that love is out there and that they've got it and they're the key and without them, you don't have the love, you're going to be scared, resentful that they have so much power over you, um, devastated if they're not here, because they have your love. But that's not it. They don't have your love. Your love is right inside you. They just were able to awaken it. 
And you couldn't lose it even if you tried. And maybe she was there to, to show you that you really had love inside. Oh, wow. That was, that was a very powerful exchange. A year of pain, just kind of seeing it in a different way. And I, I'd always been grateful to her, but uh, I thought there was something, there was some great mistake. And, you know, it's no mistake. People come together, have some work to do, and become enriched through that process, hopefully. And if you're feeling that connection, have had that connection with somebody, the, the, I think the, the greatest way to honor it, if it doesn't continue to unfold, is know that that person has helped you feel that for, your, for life and for another and for yourself and to honor them and to really be wishing well. You know, when I think of Maria, there's just a well-wishing wherever she is. <laughs> but um, it's not in that person. And I actually like you to do a little exercise. Let's do an exercise together and then I'll talk a little bit more. Okay. Like you to um, think of someone that you love dearly, and pets are fine too. Pets are okay. It sometimes is much easier to access than than people. Think of someone you love dearly. And as you bring them into your Mind, imagine them here with you. And uh, get in touch with how much you care about this person's well-being. And in this caring, the only thing you want from them is their own happiness. Just take a moment to notice how good that feels. Just to wish for their happiness. Now we're going to just shift things a moment and get in touch with what you might want from them whether it's attention or reassurance or affection or approval. Just notice for a moment what it's like to want something from them. And be a little bit nervous if you're not getting it. Notice how different that is to shift the energy to go from expansion to contraction, from offering something to grasping, from happiness to lack or attachment. Okay, now I'd like you to go back to, again, getting in touch with how much you care about them, just connecting again with that outflow of love. Let go of wanting anything, and just realize, oh, I really care about this person. I just want them to be happy. Notice, if you can do that shift, how different it is. And now turn your attention to that flow of loving energy between you. how wonderful it is, how mysterious it is. And although that other person maybe helps awaken that loving energy, can you say it belongs to them? Not really. Just keep focusing on the feeling of love itself and delight in that. Your heart can feel it. Let it soothe and pervade your being. 
just feeling this loving presence that can emanate from your own heart, that can be shared with another. How mysterious. What a blessing. It's right inside of you. Okay, you can gently open your eyes if you like. You feel the the difference in the shit in those that energy from the joy of love to the pain of love, and that is scary when we feel it. You know, oh my goodness, what is a source of such deep good well-being feels awful, and sometimes we can get afraid of that feeling, so we cut ourselves off from that love. What if I get attached? What if I get hurt? And sometimes, many, often, we get afraid of real intimacy because it's a risk if you think that they got your love. But that's a tremendous sacrifice to to let go of loving, you know. If somebody can't love, can't return your love, don't stop loving out of fear. That's a tremendous price to pay. And sometimes as uh, spiritual beings, besides being afraid of intimacy, sometimes we can get maybe afraid of getting caught in attachment. No, I want my... I want a pure love. I don't want to feel attached. And uh, that's another way sometimes we can keep from letting the love in. If I really let it in, then it'll become attachment. And there's a, a fine line between not wanting to get attached, even though it's part of being human, but not wanting to get attached with the best of intentions and not letting the love in because you're afraid of that. I, I know what that's like. So it's not so healthy to keep the love out because you're trying to be spiritual. <clears throat> really, loving kindness, I'll just say a few more words and then we'll... Let's see if there's time for discussion. Loving kindness, um, it comes down to, uh, in that kindness, a tenderness, a sweetness, a vulnerability that's willing to let somebody in, let ourselves out, or a, a tenderness with ourselves. You know, it's not like you like everything necessarily about that person, but there's a kind of sweet tenderness. And we can have that for ourselves, too. It's a very important thing. It's a key to practice, to feel that tenderness for yourself. And sometimes what, what I do and what people do in, in uh, metta retreats is just feeling that tenderness by putting that hand, your hand over your heart. Just try it right now. Just, you can, if you want, you can close your eyes and feel a tenderness there, right through your hands. It's like your, your hand knows how to be kind. And you can give that to yourself, figuratively, literally, Isn't that wonderful that you can be tender with yourself? That's real metta. It's not trying to be perfect or meet any high standards. It's just coming from a place of, it's okay, dear. I'll just mention one last thing. and That's uh, remembering a, 
a story of um, Howie Cohn, one of my friends who I'm going to teach the Labor Day retreat with, where he um, he talks about this in his own in Dharma talks, where he was sitting a retreat on his own, and um, uh, he was a, a yogi on a retreat, retreatant, and he was getting into this uh, all of a sudden uh, seeing so many things about himself that he he didn't like, and he saw how empty and lonely he really was inside. And he, this is building for a couple of days. And, and then it crescendoed into this moment where he said, you know, oh gosh, how, how awfully lonely you are. And he started sobbing. And in his sobbing, he was in his room at IMS, all he could do at some point was just hold himself and and wail. And at some point, instead of being the, the sad, lonely person, he became the arms that were holding him. And that was a very profound moment where he became that loving, kind, compassionate presence. And he saw, oh, that's who I really am. It's much stronger much more uh, vibrant and capable than that small being inside. And that's, that's how we want to develop. We want to see that's who we really are, the place that can hold us when we get confused. It takes a little spaciousness to get in touch with it sometimes because when we're tight and stressed, we, it's hard to get in touch with that that kind heart. But as we can see, oh yeah, it's right here all the time. You have everything you need and nobody could take that away from you, this loving kindness. It's your true nature when you're not confused or lost. So, um, hmm. any anything that comes up for, for people... Uh, just have the time for maybe a question or so. Yeah, Claudia, what'd you say? Oh, here, why don't we? There's not that much time, but pass the mic back fast. And since we're recording it, thanks. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, hi. Um, yeah, it occurred to me when I was, you know, when I had my eyes closed that it's like. Um, you can only change yourself. You can't change somebody else. And the loving kindness sort of ties into that because if, you know, when, you, when you're thinking about the loving, loving somebody, just, just loving them and caring about them, it's coming from you. And, you know, when, it's, when you want something back from them, it's like you're trying to change something about them. Right. So it's like, you know, it's sort of like the whole um, psychological... Uh, you know, uh, model of you can change yourself, you can't change somebody else. Right, right. And that's what, when that, that phrase unconditional love is used, that's what we're talking about. A love without conditions, that's just an outflow of connection, appreciation. Okay, anything else before we close? Okay, let's do a little bit of loving kindness and then we'll, we'll close with a dedication. So, again, bring someone to mind who you uh, have a warm feeling for, a friend. Traditionally, it's suggested not to bring somebody who you have a complicated relationship with, um, if that's possible. Um, just somebody who opens your heart and uh, have an image of them so that you are connecting with the qualities that you love about them. Maybe smiling back at you. And then just sending these words like you're, again, splashing them with the blessing. May you be safe from all harm. 
As you say the word, have an image of them in a safe moment. May you be happy. May you open to all the happiness in your life. Again, you might imagine them in a happy situation, happy moment. May you be healthy and strong. See them to whatever extent possible, vital and strong, inner strength or outer strength. May you have ease of well-being, just wishing them well. And notice how it feels to wish that for somebody. Get in touch with the feeling, whatever your experience is, just fine. But if you feel at all that basic kindness, Let your attention rest there. And then wish that for yourself. May I be safe from harm. May I be happy or open up to well-being. May I be healthy, strong to whatever extent possible for me. May I live with ease. And then send these thoughts out to all beings in all directions. As I want to be safe, may all be safe from harm. As I want to be Happy, may all find happiness. May all find health, healing, to whatever extent possible. May all beings live with ease. And may our coming here together be of benefit to all beings everywhere everyone we know, including ourselves. May all beings be happy. Thank you. I I would encourage you, by the way, to go through the week if you want to do a little extra metta practice when you're in line, you know, waiting. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.